Father in heaven, thank you so much that you've seen us safely through another week. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and study your word together. Just pray that you'd please be with us. Guide and lead us with your Holy Spirit, O Lord. Speak to our hearts as we're about to open your word. May you open our hearts and minds. Help us to discern your voice amongst all the other voices out there in the world. Lead us now, we pray, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Well, we are continuing our study in the Beatitudes and the Mount of Blessing. We are at the end of Matthew chapter 5. And although the Mount of Blessing sermon still goes for another two chapters, Jesus at the end of Matthew 5, he makes a conclusion based upon this chapter in what we've studied so far. So let's go to Matthew 5 and let's start by reading this passage that we're going to study this evening. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You see that in verse 48, Jesus makes this conclusion, which really is the title of our study for this evening. Be perfect. Be perfect even as our Father in heaven is perfect. You see, verse 48, when it says, therefore, the conclusion is being made. It's summing up all that Jesus has been teaching in these past verses. And not just the ones that we've just read, but even in our previous studies. And we're going to go through them as we we conclude this section of our study for Matthew 5 this evening. But let's go back to verse 43 first, shall we? In verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Christ starts off with these words, Ye have heard that it hath been said. This is not the first time that Jesus is saying this in this chapter. But Christ is dealing with what? Tradition or what we call normal human behavior. At least what we deem to be normal in some sense, right? In the past though, What have we studied that Jesus said was normal human thinking, normal human behavior? Well, he said, you have heard it, they've been said, it's okay to make oaths, or even even though we don't intend to keep it. And you've also heard it has been said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's okay to revenge. You hurt my eye, I hurt your eye, right? But Even though Jesus says this is our normal human behavior, it doesn't make it right, right? He says our normal human behavior now that we're studying this evening is what? It's okay to love our our neighbors and hate our enemies. That's normal. That's normal in how we normally behave and how we think, isn't it? But what does Jesus say in contrast to this? And what does this have to do with being perfect. Well, 
Let's go back, Matthew 5, 44. But, here's the contrast, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Love who? Jesus says, love your enemy. Yes, love those that hate you, that are doing all these things on purpose to try to hurt you. How? How can we love our enemy? Well, Jesus says what? Bless them that curse you. He also says what? Do good to them that hate you and pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, friends, seriously, we have to love our enemies. I mean, let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you blessed those that cursed you, right? We might say, God bless you to those that, you know, say curse words to us. And we might say back to them in a sarcastic way, not that we really mean it. But, you know, in our hearts, we're waiting for God to judge them and pour out their plagues upon, his plagues upon them, right? But we will say, God bless you. And we'll say in a sort of sarcastic tone, isn't it? Friends, when's the last time that you did good to those that hated you? At most, really, we just avoid them. We don't go out of our way to be good and kind and nice and do something, you know, give them a gift for their birthday, right? We don't do good to those that hate us normally. When's the last time you prayed for those that were your persecutors? Usually our prayers is, God, please help me to withstand their persecution, isn't it? But it doesn't stop there. We usually go to other people and say, ah, you know, so-and-so, I don't know why they're, they're persecuting me and hurting me. You know, I don't deserve this. I don't know what I've done to deserve this. And, and we start gossiping about them instead, instead of praying for them. We rarely pray for our enemies' conversion. If anything, we pray for God to judge them, isn't it? We say, God, quickly come, quickly come, because we want you to judge them and, and, you know, punish them for what they're doing to us. Rarely do we pray for what? God bless them. God comfort them. God help them to see the error of their ways. God, please, maybe they're, they're hurting me in some way because of some situation in their lives. Help me to understand what it is so I can help them. How often have we really done these things that Jesus is talking about here? What did Jesus do to his enemies? How did he treat them? Look at this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, we have the model set before us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the text says here that it's even hard for us to die for a righteous man, a good man, never mind an ungodly one or a person who is hating us and trying to hurt us on purpose. But Jesus, he did it. You know, when Christ was hanging on the cross, he was dying for the sins of the world, just having been judged by those that hated him and they were constantly hot in his heels trying to persecute him him and kill him. Look at his prayer for his enemies. Look at what Jesus says while he is hanging on the cross, while he's dying for the ungodly. Look at what he says. Luke chapter 23, 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus, he was praying for his enemies. He was interceding for his enemies. 
and he says to his Father in heaven, God, pour out your wrath upon them. Is that what he's saying? No. He's saying, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. They're not aware. They're, They're ignorant about what they're doing. He didn't say that they were wicked. He didn't say that they were, he said that they were ignorant. They didn't know what they were doing. They they weren't aware of their actions. It's almost as if Jesus was giving them an excuse as to why they were doing this. It's like they're deceived. And that's the reason why they were killing him. Father, they don't know what they do. Forgive them. Friends, this is the prayer that Jesus prayed for his enemies, for those that sought to kill him and was successful at it, even though he was hanging on the cross, he was praying for them. It's an interesting perspective to have. God, they don't know better. Please just forgive them. And you know, friends, in some sense, that's true. You know why? Because sin blinds us. Sin makes us do things that we would not normally do if we were in our right mind. So when people hate us, and they persecute us, we must remember that they've been deceived by the devil. He's the one that is deceiving them and and blinding them and, and giving them all these horrible, hateful passions in their hearts to make them go do all these things. Yes, they have been deceived and they need our prayers. They need our help just as much as everyone else. And it's hard. Why? Because it hits home to us so personally. People are doing things on purpose, going out of their way to do these things and say these things just to hurt you, just to get at you because they don't like you. But friends, if we are praying for our enemies and those that hurt us, what does Jesus say we are? When we pray for our enemies, when we're able to love our enemies, what does Jesus say we are? Look at this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Do you see that, friends? If we are able to love our enemies, if we're able to pray for those that despitefully use us and and hurt us and persecute us and, and we're able to do good to those that really don't like us, God says, you're my children. You are my children. We will be called the children of the Father. And this is the greatest evidence that we are abiding in Christ and that He is abiding in us. This is proof that we are His children. It's not, oh, you can recite the Ten Commandments from your heart or you've read the whole Bible through and through. No, that's not the greatest evidence that Christ is abiding in us. If we are able to love our enemies, we are called the children of God. Friends, this is the fruits of the true Christian. We might not hate anybody, but we will have enemies. People will hate us. But if we're able to love them back, that, that God says, Jesus says, is evidence that you're my children. But where else do we see in Matthew 5 that we are called the children of God? Well, let's go back to the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So consider this, friends. We are called the children of God if we are what? Peacemakers. Now remember, we studied in the past about this beatitude. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? To make peace between two parties, right? To be able to reconcile two parties. And maybe that's 
peace between God and a man, helping people to come to the knowledge of the truth and what sin is and to repent from all the bad and evil things that they're doing, right? So helping two groups to reconcile. But in this context that we're looking at today, blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be the children of God. The children of God are also what? Those that are able to love their enemies. You see, the difference here is it's not problem between two people that you have to reconcile. It's the problem between you and someone else that you have to reconcile. The problem is no longer you're a neutral party, but someone actually hates you. And we've read about this as well. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and come and offer thy gift. A person has a problem with you. Go and be reconciled to them. Make peace between you and them. And in the context of the study that we're looking at today, love your enemy. We've got to go out of the way and and go beyond just our comfort zone to be reconciled to someone that does not like us. Yes, we got to confront. It is not a comfortable situation. It's not something we like to do. It's not something we enjoy doing. And sometimes we'll make excuses why we shouldn't even do it in the first place. They won't admit that they don't like us even though they do these things, right? Uh, we'll have all sorts of reasons and excuses, but we got to we got to heed the call of what the Bible tells us. Reconcile yourself to them. Go, be reconciled. And you know, what is the illustration that Jesus actually gives us about this? Well, let's continue in our study, Matthew 5 and verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God is saying what? I am not partial. He makes the sun to rise on the good and the bad. And he makes it to rain on the good and the bad as well. He doesn't treat any other person differently. So the reason why we treat people differently is because why? Of how they treat us. So what's happening when we do this? We're allowing the circumstances around us to change what we think and feel about a person or people that are around us as well. We're allowing the context of the situation to affect us and make us to react differently. But what is Jesus trying to teach? We must learn to be the same under all circumstances. The way that Jesus treated those that hated him was the same way he treated those that loved him. There was no preferential treatment. He would pray for the Roman soldier as much as he prayed for his disciples, as much as he would pray for the Pharisees and the scribes. His reaction was no different to Jew or Gentile, to his friends or even to his enemies. Friends, we must learn to master circumstances and not let the circumstance master us and change us to be more like them, but rather in some way, make them to become more like us if we are like the Father in heaven. How often have we allowed rough treatment from others to bring out the bad language or bad attitude in us so that we can treat them back the same way, right? 
And what's our justification? They deserve it. If they can treat a person this way, they should be able to take it themselves, right? And that's how we justify our bad character, our bad actions, the way we treat them back the same way they treat us. At that point, we've allowed the situation to get the better of us. We've allowed the circumstance to master us. But Christ is saying, that must not be the way with a Christian. It cannot be. If we are truly converted and living a life in Christ, we will learn to love our enemy or sing a different way. We will learn to treat everybody the same with the love of Christ, no matter the circumstance. You see, friends, when we are partial, when we do treat others the way they treat us, what sort of thinking is this that Jesus describes? Matthew chapter 5, and let's keep reading, verse 46 and 47. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? So Jesus is saying, look, the publicans are just like this. The heathen are just like this. Those that don't know God, they treat each other the same way that many of us treat each other. This is how the world works. I will love you as much as you love me. You don't like me, I won't like you. You treat me this way, I'll treat you this way, right? That's fair and right, it seems, but Jesus says, no, that is not how the Christian works. How did the Jews look at the publicans? Look at this, Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. They called them sinners, people who did not know God. But not just that, let's look at another text. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let, it, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. You see, a publican was classified in the same category as a heathen man, someone who didn't believe in God at all. And so, if we really love our, love our neighbor but hate our enemy, we're no better than an irreligious person. We're no better than a person who doesn't have any religion whatsoever. We're no better than anyone out there who, who doesn't know God, like an atheist, right? So this is how the world works. The children of light, the children of God should not be this way. But Luke, he puts it most clear. Look at this. In Luke 6.32, he writes, If you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. I mean, it doesn't take any amount of godliness to love those who love you and hate those who hate you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. Sinners, it doesn't take any sort of righteousness to be like that. The righteousness of Christ is, you love me, I love you. You hate me, I still love you. Do you see that? And so, friends, when we come back to Matthew chapter 5 and all that Jesus has taught us so far, look at this. 
In Matthew 5 and verse 38, he says, You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, right? Do unto others what you want them to do unto you. What you do to me, I will do back to you. That's just and that's fair. But remember what we studied the last time. Jesus is telling us, we can't be like this. We got to change. We can't take revenge against somebody. We got to learn to trust God that he'll work out his purpose in his timing for us. What Jesus isn't saying though, he's not saying, go hang out with your enemy. Go, go make them your confidant. Ask them for advice. No, he's not saying that. There was a difference between how Jesus, um, I shouldn't say treat, but how he hung out with Pharisees compared to how he hung out with his 12 disciples and Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who was his close friends, right? He was able to speak more freely in regard to the things of the future with his friends, not knowing that his words would not be misconstrued and try to be twisted and used against him in the future. I'm not saying that you got to make them your best friend, but the way that you treat them, it should not be different to how you treat those that you've known for 10, 20 years that are your best friends that you've grown up with all your life. We still got to treat them with dignity. Treat the heathen, the atheist, your enemy. Treat them all the same way that you would treat your best friend. Not in how you hang out with them, but how you'd speak to them how you would talk to them, how you would show your actions towards them. That's important, friends. So in Matthew, he tells us, be ye therefore perfect. What does it actually mean, friends? It means to be perfect in love. To love your enemies, not just your friends. But you know, it's so interesting that Luke, he records this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has but he makes this conclusion which is a little bit different. Look at how he says the phrase, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Look at this, Luke chapter 6 and verse 36. Be ye therefore what? Merciful as your Father also is merciful. Friends, why is mercy such an important characteristic and why does this tie to the love of God? Well, Look at what Lamentations says about God's mercy. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God's mercy, friends, it is new every morning, which means if we are to learn to love and have mercy upon those that are our enemies that hate us, We need that fresh supply of mercy every day that God might fill us up with his mercy and his love for all these people who are in ignorance and don't know any better why they're doing all these things. But then what is mercy tied to? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, God's mercy is his grace. God's mercy is his grace. If we show mercy to other people, if we love our enemies, 
they will be thinking why we treat them that way. We are showing them grace, an unmerited favor, something they don't deserve, just like the favor and the mercy and the grace that God showed to us when he came and died on the cross for each and every one of us. We never asked for it. All we did was hate him, but he did it anyways. That's what it means to be perfect like our Father which is in heaven, just like Christ as well. We got to treat them the way that Jesus would treat them. And from there, they'll be converted. From there, they might be one to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. From there, they'll be wondering why you are treating them that way when they treat you so badly. The grace and the knowledge and the mercy of God will become theirs. So friends, it's not just about, oh, poor me, poor me, why, why is the world doing this to me? No, but through this, God has a purpose. Friends, why is love so important? Why is love so important today? Well, in Romans chapter 13, verse 10, it says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You know, friends, if we loved our enemies, not just our friends and family, we will not even think that one jot or one tittle of the law has been changed. If we love our enemies, we would be fulfilling the law instead. If we love our enemies, we will be called the children of God. We will be called peacemakers. If we love our enemies, we will be salt and light to the whole world. If we love our enemies, we would not be angry at our brother without a reason or a cause. If we loved our enemies, we wouldn't give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If we loved our enemies, Jesus says, you are perfect, just like my Father in heaven and just like me, Jesus says. If we loved our enemies, the world would be filled with the glory of God, his character, and this gospel would go out quickly and with great power because there is no other love like this in all the world. If we loved our enemies, we would rejoice and be exceeding glad in times of persecution. If we loved our enemies, not just those that love us, Jesus would come and take us home soon to heaven. Friends, what's the purpose of all the trials? What's the purpose of all the persecutions that we ought to rejoice in times of persecution? What's the purpose of all these bad things to happen to the Christian and those that follow Jesus? Why will enemies arise to hate those that are innocent and that love God? Well, Peter tells us very clearly. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Look at this. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let God, but let him glorify God on his behalf. You know, what is Peter saying here? Look, trials will come. If we suffer for Christ's sake, this is a good thing. 
If we're suffering because we, we're a murderer, we're a thief, we're an evildoer, we've been a busybody, look, serves us right. That, that ought to be so. But if we are suffering as a Christian for the sake of Christ and not anything that we ourselves have done other than living a godly life, then we can glorify God. We will be able to spread the character of God to everybody around us. The character of Christ would be lifted up. Look, it doesn't take much to love your friend that loves you. That's not only the character of Christ, that's even the character of the worldling, right? But if we will love the enemies, we can show that we can treat them differently, we can really pray for them, that's the character of Christ. Friends, how can we have this love today? It's so often that we get so easily agitated, easily bent out of shape because of even a person, the way they looked at us, how they didn't talk to us, what they did say to us, whatever it is, right? How can we love? How can we have this love of Christ? We've got to go through the steps at the very beginning, the Beatitudes. Those are steps to happiness. Those are steps to being like our Father, which is in heaven, being perfect. Those are the steps that will allow us to see God face to face one day. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we're told, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall appear, when he shall appear, pardon me, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, when Christ appears one day, he will recognize us and we will recognize him. Why? We'll be alike in character. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, friends, Jesus has been trying to teach everybody one important lesson, the spirituality of the law. Not just its literal application. What is the benefit really of the Ten Commandments? It's just a list of do's and don'ts? No, it's all about love. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 and 18, don't think that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus says, don't even think for a second that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not. I've come to, to up exalt it, to uplift it, to fulfill it, to show you what it means to have the law of God written in your heart and mind. But what is that all about? Well, Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Friends, this is the spirituality of the law. It's not a letter of the law. Don't do this. Don't do that. Make sure you do this. Don't do that. A list of do's and don'ts. More don'ts than do's, right? But the law of God, if applied to the heart, is not just found in obedience and doing all things right and perfectly. It ought to be so, but it's about love. 
love to God and love to humankind. If we truly loved God, we would be a light to the world and a salt of the earth. We'll be shining his character to everybody around us. But if we truly had the law of God in our hearts, we would love our neighbors and we would love our enemies. If we truly loved man, we wouldn't hate them. We wouldn't lust after women in our hearts. We would not retaliate in revenge. We would not lie to them. We would treat them all the same, even our enemies. Friends, this is what the law of God does when it's written here in our hearts and in our minds. Love to all mankind. Love especially to those that hate you. Friends, what we need to ask God today, God, please put your law in my heart and a mind. Not just to memorize those Ten Commandments, not just to go through reading the Bible like it's some accomplishment that I have to do every single day, but Lord, truly make these words to transform my character, to change my heart, to help me to be more like Christ, a better person just for humanity, to show that we can be different, we can be better, we can be like Christ. Friends, this is the purpose of Bible study. This is the reason why we ought to go to church and worship this God that we serve and we love because we need to be like him. We need to be a pervading influence like that salt, that shining light to the whole world. Wow, this guy, this girl is different. They're just different. Why? Oh, it's not, I can't put my finger on it. No, look at how he or she treats this person. So nice so gentle, so loving. I'm not like that. If it was me, I would, right? They can see that that life difference, just the countenance should be different. Oh, I need that so much, friends. I need that so much. And I'm praying, and I'm going to pray that God will write his law in my heart and my mind today. And I hope that that will be your prayer as well, that truly we can be a better influence in this world that we're living in today, wherever you are, that you can be a better influence in your neighborhood, in the condo that you're at, with with the people that you interact with, not just your friends, but even the strangers that you walk by every day. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for showing us something different something so unlike this world. Thank you, Lord, for showing us what true godliness is all about, what your law is all about. And so, Father, please help us to see. Help us to see that you desire to us to be different, to have your love and your law written within our hearts, that this might be the fabric of our being, that we might truly be like Christ from the inside to the out. Lord, please, I know we struggle with this. It's so easy to treat people differently because of how they look at us, what they say to us, how they treat us. But Lord, please help us. Help us to be different. Guide us to that end, Lord. May you continue to lead us and help us to be like Jesus. We just surrender our lives again into your hands. Lord, please write that law and your spirit and your love into our hearts and minds today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.